Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. My name is Rodney Hu, your host as always, and today I'm joined by another very special guest, Mr. Hitesh Mehta. He is the co-CEO and the co-founder at Neutromics, and he's passionate about bringing innovative new wearable and AI-driven health tech products and solutions to the market for impact. Hitesh has more than 10 plus years of experience consulting globally within healthcare and previously worked at IBM Watson Health. So I'm excited to have him on and kind of give him an opportunity to share his story, share his journey in healthcare and what they're doing over at Neutromics. So with that being said, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Rodney. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to be here. And no problem. Why don't we just jump into it? Why don't you give people a brief background of who you are and how you got into the healthcare space and ended up at Neutromics? Yeah, thanks. So, uh, as you said, I'm co-founder, co-CEO of Neutromics. Uh, we're about a three-and-a-half-year-old uh, medtech startup here in Australia, in Melbourne. Um, I was consulting in healthcare for a long time prior to um, and starting uh, Neutromics with Peter, my co-founder. And, you know, what led me into healthcare was always this passion for impact, um, driven by personal experience, history. Uh, I grew up uh, all over the world, uh, thanks to my dad's job. And so I got to see the breadth of uh, diversity of uh, healthcare and uh, how it impacted people in Africa, how it impacted people in Europe, in India, and elsewhere. And when I started to work, I was also just naturally drawn to consulting in healthcare and, again, helped uh, roll out a lot of new models of care and service delivery in the U.S., in Europe, in, in, Af in uh, Singapore, and in Australia. And so when I started to think about how can I have a big impact, that was the time in my journey that I happened to meet Peter, my co-founder. Uh, on a business course. And we had a shared passion for impact. We saw a lot of challenges in healthcare, a lot of the issues where it's more a sick care system than an actual healthcare system, and, uh, and what impact that has on people and family, on friends. And so there was always this alignment and, and vision of wanting to make a difference there. So that's what started Neutromics. Uh, Neutromics today is all about a world with zero preventable deaths due to a lack of timely biological or molecular data. Um, and so that's where we are today. Nice. So you got Neutromics. It's crazy that you're in Australia because obviously I'm based out here in the U.S., so it's awesome to be able to connect with people all over the world. Um, but when it comes to Neutromics, who is it that you guys are really trying to help? Like, who is your target audience? Yeah, look, great question. So, you know, our focus has been around, uh, as I said, a world with zero preventable deaths. So that can mean many, many different things, right? And the technology we're developing is quite unique and novel and revolutionary. We, we call it the next evolution in wearables from continuous glucose monitoring type devices into continuous molecular monitoring technologies. So our first target application, because in healthcare, there's a lot of problems to be solved. You really need to find where's your focus, what's the first application or the key application where you have a clear product market fit, a clear clinical need that you're trying to solve. Um, and so we did a lot of work on that as a company last year. Um, and the first application we're bringing to the market with our technology is around therapeutic drug monitoring. 
in particular, um, helping with real-time dosing and clinical decision-making around vancomycin, a life-saving antibiotic. So if you have a critical illness, uh, a bacteremia or a sepsis, which is due to an infection, you're going to be dosed with vancomycin. Uh, six million, uh, more than 6 million patients annually in the U.S., for example, get an IV course of vancomycin. And for the critically ill, the typical course is over a 15-day period. And this is a really hard drug to dose. You know, it's, it's like a Goldilocks uh, problem. You have a narrow therapeutic window that you have to get the patient into. You go too high, it's toxic to the patient and can result in acute kidney injury and other complications. If you're too low, you're not treating the underlying disease, the underlying cause. And so you're delaying treatment, you're keeping them in hospital for longer and they're getting worse. So you've got to get it in the right window. And that is a real challenge for the clinicians today. We've spoken to a lot of infectious disease clinicians, a lot of pharmacists who deal with this problem on a day-to-day basis. And the consensus across the board is there needs to be a better solution. Nice. And so it's crazy that you're tackling the wearable space. And it's interesting to see how like technology has advanced and how the advancement of technology is applied into the healthcare space. And I see wearables as being like a pretty common trend as far as the healthcare industry, like more than just an Apple watch or an Android watch and something like that. But what's the value of technology and more specific wearables when it comes to patient care? Yeah, so great question. You know, I think a lot of people have seen a hint of this with like the Apple Watches and and fitness trackers. Um, And so they can see that, you know, you can start to get physical monitoring, your heart rate, heart rate variability. You can start to potentially detect somebody is is getting an AFib or or do an ECG using a wearable, right? And guide them to go to their GP. Uh, The wearables can't do a medical diagnostic, but they can guide you to get treatment or at least get some more attention before a problem occurs. And that's been the, the, the tantalizing future of consumer-based wearables, right? The penetration into healthcare has been a bit slower. It's, it's coming and it's, 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 fast, it's emerging faster because of COVID, but it still hasn't happened as quickly as, as I think people would have liked. What we're talking about in a, in a wearable f- a factor is, is a leap forward. It's not about physical sensing, it's about molecular sensing. It's about being able to measure molecular targets just under the surface of the skin that today you have to do a blood draw and you have to go to pathology for, right? And this is not for every single uh, target. Every single blood draw doesn't get replaced with these type of technologies. It's for critical targets where time matters, where they're fast moving, where they're dynamic. So the best commercial example of this today is the continuous glucose monitors that are developed by Dexcom, Medtronic, and Abbott and available to the type 1 diabetics and the type 2 diabetics market. And you can start to even see that coming into the consumer space with uh, prevention. People are starting to wear these uh, CGMs and use them to help identify how they hack their diets, how they improve their diets. Uh, for better care and and better uh, health. So that's the type of technology we're working on. We're working on a platform that gets you molecular data in a wearable patch. Think of it like a lab on the skin. (laughs) That's a cool cool visual, lab on the skin. And it's crazy because 
like the way that you're able to collect data, analyze that data, and then use that data to make more high level educated decisions going forward, which ultimately benefits benefits the end consumer. But on the business side, when you're creating a wearable technology such as the patch that you guys are creating, can you kind of walk us through the process of not only the hardware aspect in the patch, but also creating the software and being able to combine both of them to create a product like this? Yeah. So to start with, it it, it begins with you know having a clear need. Right, you got to have a problem you're trying to solve that is valuable that people are willing to pay for it um, to have an impact to actually bring this out to technology. Technology for technology's sake isn't going to make a difference, right? So, so that's where we began, and along the way, we identified that you have this problem in healthcare where clinicians aren't able to make clear, effective decisions. They're having to wait for the blood draws to be done, or the condition is moving too quickly and they're needing frequent blood draws, and they don't have that data in front of them, right? So then to solve that challenge, we looked for what's the right technology approach? How do we measure these targets that clinicians are interested in um, safely and effectively on the patient? And we looked at non-invasive options, and we went through a criteria of, you know, whittling it down. We looked at optical and sweat-based technology options and so forth, because we wanted to bring a form factor to the market that would be patient-centric, first and foremost. It needs to be easy for the patients to apply, and it needs to be passive for data collection uh, purposes. And so where we landed was um, similar to what glucose uh, monitoring technologies have paved the way on which is that you have a, a huge wealth of molecular information just under the surface of the skin in ISF, in interstitial fluid. And a lot of those targets correlate really, really well with blood levels. So the challenge is how do you actually monitor the targets in ISF, right? And again, to be able to build this, historically, the field has shown you can build one sensor at a time. It's not a platform approach. So again, ideally to meet the clinical needs, you want to have a generic enough platform that you can quickly adapt and modify the sensors you're putting on the wearable to drive that value for the clinicians. And that's where we landed. So the inventor of our technology uh, has spent the past 15 years developing a generalizable platform. And he did it using um, by looking at how biology solved the problem, how evolution solved the challenge of continuous molecular monitoring in our bodies. So we are integrating that into a wearable from a hardware perspective, right? Now, and I can go deeper into that if you, if you want uh, for your audience as well, into, into how that technology came about, because it's quite revolutionary. Now, data. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so so I'll do that now, actually. Yeah, so just going deeper into it. So the inventor is Professor Kevin Plaxco at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Um, as I mentioned, he looked, at, he looked at it really from a different lens. He looked at it from a biology lens and, and how did evolution solve the challenge. So our bodies are continuously doing molecular monitoring, and the way that happens is uh, the receptors bind to a particular target and that results in a reaction or an event occurring in the body, right? So uh, dopamine hit being released, for example. Um, so he built the same principles into a platform that can generate an electrochemical signal, which you can read. So 
we can actually create a synthetic sensor using DNA and we can have it specific to the target we're interested in. And when it binds, it results in a reaction, in, a, in an electrochemical signal that we can read out to a mobile phone, uh, as an example. So he's demonstrated this technology. It took him 15 years to build it. He's demonstrated it multiple times in animal models, in preclinical models. So it works in the body. It works repeatedly for multiple different targets. So he's done this 12 different times, which shows that it's generalizable, right? That's what's truly exciting about this technology because to date, everyone who's tried to approach this has approached it from an engineering perspective or tried to approach it from a chemistry perspective, right? Um, and the challenge they've always hit up is they're reliant on the reactivity of the target you're interested in. So glucose, the way the sensors work is they react and that's what you read uh, in, in simple terms. Whereas we're actually agnostic to that. We can create synthetic sensors and we can apply them in our device to generate a new sensor target, right? Now that's greatly simplifying it. Obviously you need to go through clinical trials and the regulatory approval process uh, to bring these to the market, but that's the potential for our technology. And the first target is really the gateway into therapeutic drug monitoring. Uh, it allows us to demonstrate the technology. It allows us to meet a clear clinical need that exists today. You know, over 80% of the hospitals don't dose vancomycin for these critical patients correctly based on the recent guidelines that were changed in 2020. So this is a clear problem that's occurring right now. Um, and, and we've been building the value dossier around that. Nice. And so I've heard you mention a specific drug. What, what's the name of that? Avancomycin. So it's a life-saving antibiotic, often dosed when critical conditions like sepsis or bacterial infections. Okay. So yeah, you, yours, your guys' technology real, really comes into play when you're trying to prevent new diseases or stuff like that versus treating existing ones? No, so this, this particular... Or it applies to both. It applies to both. So our first application okay. specifically are better treatment, right? So currently what happens is when they dose you with vancomycin, um, they're waiting 12 hours to do a blood draw. So what they're trying to do is uh, take a blood draw at what's called a trot level. And the underlying uh, assumption there is everyone's clearing the drug at the same uh, uh, frequency, at the same uh, rate which isn't true, right? Our bodies are different. We're all individuals. Our kidney functions are going to be different. We may have underlying conditions. All of that impacts how fast you clear the drug. So you don't really get the right levels. And so they do this once every 12 hours while they're trying to get the patient into the right um, Goldilocks zone, as I mentioned. And then um, they get into steady state. And again, they're repeating this blood draw every day to get, make sure they got the levels right. Now, the doctor may come before the blood results are back. You know, They may say, we need to dose the next course. They may find after the blood results come back that actually the patient's already got a toxic dose in their system. We need to now walk back the dose we've been giving them. We need to reduce the levels because it's resulting in further injury and further complications for the patient. That's what happens today. About 30% approximately of patients who are critically ill and being dosed with vancomycin end up with acute kidney injury. It costs over a billion dollars in the healthcare system today uh, because of all the complications that occur. Uh, 
right? So what we're offering is a data point every few minutes. So we can give you over that, you know, say three-day course or 15-day course, thousands and thousands of data points. So the clinician, when they need to make a dosing decision, when they need to put the next dose in place, they know what the levels are for a patient when they need to know the information. They don't have to wait for the blood draw to be done, for the pathology results to be come back, and then try to manage it retrospectively. They know what the levels are, what the levels have been, when they need to know the information. Interesting. And so based on like your target audience and the people you want to do business with, how are you going about communicating that market and educating that market? Yes, yeah, a good question. So, so part of the reason why we selected this market is because the guidelines have changed. You know, doctors are already recognizing that the way they manage um, this particular drug and the treatment protocols is ineffective and it's causing harm. So the guidelines changed, the 2020 vancomycin guidelines changed to say, well, we need to implement what's called area under the curve. So what that means is you either need to do multiple blood draws, which isn't going to happen in a busy ED or, or general ward, um, or you need to implement some sort of solution to try and uh, work through what is the uh, area under the curve. So that is what we're building our technology solution for, right? So what we can give the patient, the doctors is real-time information, continuous and real-time information that helps them understand what is the patient profile. Um, and that allows them to dose the drug safely and effectively for every patient, right? And the same principle applies for many, many other drugs. Um, you know, same principle applies for drugs that are renally cleared, and there's over 40 drugs that are renally cleared. So vancomycin and other drugs like vancomycin can end up with acute kidney injury, as I mentioned, if they're not dosed correctly. That leads to complications, that leads to more um, more high-touch, high-intensive care for the patient even while they're in hospital. But beyond that, it can also result in chronic kidney disease. It can result in ongoing issues for the patients. So there's a lot of cost avoidance opportunities here. And the way we're communicating that is we do talk to a lot of clinicians, you know, uh, both in the U.S. and in Australia and, and elsewhere in Europe as well. So we can we validate, you know, the problem with the with the clinicians and these in particular infectious disease and pharmacists and hospitals, as I mentioned. Uh, we're validating the problems. We're validating that this is an unmet need, and then we're validating our approach and our solution. And what we've been building recently for communicating this to the hospitals, to the payers, is the value dossier. So we've been working with consultants to identify which are the key uh, codes, which are the key areas that a hospital would be interested in. What's the current impact for the hospitals to manage patients under those codes or in, in those particular um, conditions? And what's the value uh, opportunity that we bring to the table to help them? Mm, that's interesting, man. That's awesome. And so for the people that are interested, what is the process of actually moving forward with you guys? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So the stage we're at is uh, we're currently working through our first in human trial readiness. So ethics submission has been done. We're responding to that. We're getting ready to do our first in human trials. You know, we're looking for partners in the U.S. We're looking for, because the U.S. is our first market. 
and we want to launch there. Um, so we are looking to talk to more doctors. We're looking to engage with hospitals who'd be interested in these type of novel technologies, uh, potentially want to work with us in, in collaborate with us on bringing this to market and, and demonstrating the effectiveness of the solution. Um, so that's an opportunity for anyone who's listening and wants to reach out. Uh, beyond this as well, you know, I think you, you asked earlier about chronic kidney disease, uh, sorry, chronic diseases in general. So our first application is around treatment management and making that more effective. But there's dozens and dozens of opportunities for a technology like this, you know, that we're still understanding and exploring. So definitely there's a huge opportunity around more proactive care management, more um, safer uh, and preventative care management for patients. Remote patient monitoring is a huge opportunity for us uh, for applying this technology. So you can keep the patients at home and monitor them and monitor their treatment protocols more safely as well. So we're quite open to consult and, and, and talk about these with anyone who's interested. Um, to to partner with us. Uh, one of our ethos as a company has always been to collaborate broadly. You know, we've built uh, over the last three years deep collaborations in the US and in Australia uh, just to bring this to the market. Mm, that's awesome. Super interesting. And so you guys are in Australia, but your main market is in the US. And so how much does that play into the role of like doing business or has telehealth and being able to communicate with people remotely kind of eliminated any friction that that international business relationship would cause? Yeah, great question. So, you know, Australia is a great uh, market where you can develop, test and learn and roll out the initial uh, stages of a product, right? And, and a lot of clinical studies happen here because it's a world-class uh, clinical uh, studies uh, environment and ecosystem here, especially in Melbourne. So that's a great advantage we have. Uh, but as a market, Australia is quite small, right? It's a blend of public and private uh, healthcare systems. Uh, this is where why the US is such a huge opportunity and why we, we want to launch our product first there because it makes more sense from a business opportunity. Uh, the US is a huge market. Um, so the current pandemic has shown that, you know, people are rapidly adopting Zoom and other communication tools which make the world a much smaller place it's a lot easier now to have those discussions and meetings and and communicate and work effectively right um you still aren't ever going to replace face to face you know and we're hopeful that once things start to get better we can travel again more frequently to the u.s we used to travel quite regularly and start to set up um, our aim is by hopefully next year to start setting up operations in the u.s as well so right now we've got the team here in Australia, uh, but you know previously we were running a blended technology team with some people in the US and some people here in Australia. Currently we've been consolidating everyone because it's more effective and more efficient for us, but longer term we know we need to set up operations in the US and we need to have the right partnerships set up in the US. Awesome, awesome. And we're coming up towards the end, but before we do that, your title says co-founder, co-CEO. So I want to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about the other co-founder, the other CEO, your partner, and how he kind of fits into uh, the company and how you guys are partnering together to kind of build this. 
Yeah. So, so Peter, as I mentioned, um, my co-founder and co-CEO, um, it, and we met um, at a business course, right? And it, it was really an alignment in shared values and shared principles that helped start this collaboration. And we had approached, we had identified the problem in from different ways, right? But we had, and we were trying to approach it from different angles, and we felt it was far better to collaborate to put our combined efforts together and look at tackling this. Um, and that's always been our ethos as a company as we've grown as well. We've always, like I mentioned, collaborate broadly. So we've built a lot of collaborations with hospitals and universities and potential partners uh, globally, right? And we've always tried to be as resourceful as we can be. It's not about what capabilities or resources we have internally. We've always looked to find the world's best experts, Right. And that's paid huge dividends. So Peter and I, for example, um, looked for and found some of the world's leading biosensor researchers, biosensor experts to help us build the technology stack that we're standing on today. Right. And so it's, it's, it is unusual that we have a co-CEO model, but we've just found it works for us. You know, it, we come up with better solutions. We come up with better, um, business strategies and opportunities when we put our heads together, when we debate and and look at this objectively and come up with a combined uh, solution that's far better than the sum of the individual parts. Mm, okay. Interesting. Shout out to Peter. <laughs> um, but now you were coming up towards the end of the interview, but I have one more question and it's what sort of advice would you give to other healthcare companies, other digital health companies looking to create technology and get their technology out to the market, out to the public? Yeah, so um, advice to others who want to get their technology out to the market, especially in the healthcare space, you know, you've got to focus. You've got to find the right problem that aligns with what you want to solve for. Um, but you want to be driven by the problem. You want to be driven by the clinical need and identify that niche uh, that you're going to work on and, and who you're solving the problem for, right? And you really want to put them front and center of your solution. Um, the worst thing you can do is be a technology looking for a solution in this space. The other advice... Awesome, awesome. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. The, the other thing I was going to add is is just what I said earlier, which is don't don't worry about what resources you have access to. Look at how resourceful you can be, right? It's it's a, a common uh, fallacy that people fall into in startups that we need to do everything in house or we need to uh, keep everything a secret. You know, well, that doesn't work that way. The world is full of ideas. It's about execution, and the best way to execute is to collaborate and to consult and to seek out the experts, to be sponges and learn from those experts and come up with a far better solution than what you could do yourself. Awesome, I like that. I think that's a perfect piece of advice, kind of a good way to end the main meat part of the segment. Just be resourceful, especially when you got things like search engines like Google, social media sites like Facebook and stuff. Like The world's information is at your fingertips. You just gotta, be prolific enough to go and create those opportunities. Yeah. Um, 
But we've been talking a lot about a lot of high level concepts and kind of what you guys are working on in the healthcare industry. Um, but I like to end each episode on a little lighter exercise with something I call the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to ask you a couple questions and you give me whatever answer you come up with. Sure. Sounds great. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Uh, good question. So I've, I've grown up and, and one of the books that's influenced me most was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. You know, it's a great story of a father-son journey, but it's more about philosophy and, and that um, evolution in, in the individual who's telling the story um, through the different philosophy themes and, and, and approaches. Um, right now, I'm focusing back on a, a book that Peter and I share um, a passion for, which is actually Ray Dalio's Principles. So because we're focusing a lot on growing the team and the culture and what sort of values we want to have as a company, I've been revisiting that book a fair bit and, and re-listening to it on Audible at the moment. Awesome. Awesome. Question number two, who's the most influential person in your life or career? Uh, most influential ever or, or at this point in time? I'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> um Look, I think, honestly, as a shout out, the most influential person right now is, is Peter just because of the journey we're on, right? So, and, and by way of background, he's an entrepreneur. He's done this before as well. So, he he's previously had a company that he spun out um, and, and sold as successfully. He's a chemical engineer by training. He brings a very different approach and mindset to what we're doing, right? It's a very different way of looking at it to what I bring to the table. And that's what makes it a better solution at the end of the day and a better company at the, at the end of the day. You know, throughout my life, I've had a lot of people who have influenced me, my grandparents, my parents, um, you know, um, teachers. But life's a journey and, and you learn from people as you're growing and as you're going on that journey. And some people come in and out of that journey, right? So I think right now, the most influential would be my co-founder. Awesome. Shout out to Peter again, man. Teamwork makes a dream work. Yeah. Um, number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? Yeah, so the goal we're striving for at the moment is our first in human studies. We're really excited by that. That's the f what's going to demonstrate the potential for our technology to the world, right? So that is the one goal we're focused on, laser focused on as a team. Awesome. Awesome. And then last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? Uh, <laughs> I recently got asked this uh, by somebody else as well. Uh, there's, there's so many things you'd want to say to your, to your 20 year old self, right? Um, I guess the biggest advice I can give my 20 year old self is I grew up in a world where, where people always felt like you picked a certain path and you followed that certain path. You know, you had a fixed mindset approach, if you will. And I think the world's changed, right? And, and people have found that we as individuals can grow, can learn. So what I've, what, what's been quite valuable for me is, is focusing on a growth mindset approach, knowing that you can actually learn new skills, you can learn new approaches, you can actually adapt and be, um, you know, um, resilient as part of that process is fairly important. A fixed mindset approach can lead somebody to not be resilient. It can lead somebody to think, well, this is outside of my capabilities. 
this is outside of something I can achieve, right? To be an entrepreneur and to be on this journey, you need to get out of that sort of mindset. You need to think about what's unimaginable, what people are only dreaming about and how you're potentially going to achieve that. So you need to have this hunger. You need to be able to grow. You need to be able to learn and you need to be able to adapt very quickly. And so the advice I'd give my 20-year-old self is know that and, and learn the right tools to be able to adapt and grow and be resilient as you grow older. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And having that growth mindset, just always striving to get better. You know, 1% improvements every day add up over time. Exactly. Um, so I really like that. I think that's a perfect piece of advice and excellent way to kind of end today's episode. So Tess, just want to thank you again for jumping on and sharing your story, sharing which sharing the impact that you're hoping to make within the healthcare industry and how you guys are going about doing that. Um, but before we go, where can people learn more about you? Where can they connect with you if they're interested? Go ahead. Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn, hitesh.matha at um, neutromics.com.au is the email address if you want to connect directly or just look me up on LinkedIn. Um, you can also find us on our website, and follow us. Um, we're starting to get out on Twitter more and more, but we're posting a fair bit regularly on LinkedIn as a company. And I'm sure the awesome. details will be in the show notes or, or. Yep. Correct. Correct. Um, I'll be sure to include all that. But with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one. <laughs>